Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Kevin Ingram, as we talk Commodore basketball and baseball. Kevin Ingram joins us. He is one of the play-by-play voices for Vanderbilt Athletics. Kevin, good morning. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing fine. Doing okay, Chris? I'm doing well. We are a month away from baseball season, uh, hopefully a month away from spring training. I don't know about that part, but at least we get college ball, so that's always good. I saw some interesting basketball last night. Didn't go the way Vanderbilt hoped, uh, but that was a compelling game with the minute left, even if it wasn't the most exciting one to watch. Yeah, that was a tough one for Vanderbilt. The the Commodores simply turned it over too many times. Uh, 21 turnovers leading to uh, 19 points for Tennessee in that game. But Vanderbilt led a couple times uh, down the stretch, down by eight with less than four minutes, then in two big three-pointers, first by Trey Thomas and then by Scottie Pippen Jr. to tie the game. Tennessee scored a bucket with less than a minute to make it 62-60, and then really the the pivotal play in the game. Vanderbilt turned it over on what was just basically a a simple inbounds pass. Uh, Zakai Ziegler for Tennessee decided to uh, apply his own pressure, and he got a big steal, and Tennessee was able to ice the game at the free throw line. They they scored the last eight points of the game. and That that was just a killer for Vanderbilt in a spot where you you have a chance to to win a rivalry game and finally win an SEC home game. Uh, Saw that one slip away at the end. Those two teams both really get after you on defense. They sure do. Uh, both very good defensive teams, and that's an area where, and I've said it over the course of the season, it's been a noticeable improvement for Vanderbilt this season defensively. Uh, the Commodores have really improved in doing what Jerry Stackhouse wants them to do on that end of the floor. Tennessee, uh, you look at those Ken Palm numbers, they were fifth uh, in, in maybe the, the top metric uh, as far as that goes. But uh, they were coming off a game where they gave up 107 points against Kentucky on Saturday. And I'm sure uh, Rick Barnes had them watching that video a whole bunch of times by the time they got to Nashville uh, on Monday or Tuesday. But uh, both good defensive teams. It was a it was a slugfest. It was physical. It was a grind uh, at times. Neither team uh, shot an especially good percentage. Uh, Tennessee, 33 percent. Vanderbilt, 36 percent. And neither team shot it great from three. Uh, Vols, five of 23. And Vanderbilt, eight of 26. Both teams had lots of free throws. And uh, in lots of ways, that was a difference in the game. Ziegler was able to get there and knock him down at a, at a clip of 11 of 12. But uh, kind of go back to your original comment. Both these teams good defensively, but Tennessee won that uh, battle of points off turnovers 19-9, to and that was really key in this basketball game. For Vanderbilt, I just think it's to the point in the season where they just don't have a consistent offensive option outside of Scottie Pippen Jr., and he's either got to really be brilliant and on and carry them. And, and look, he did his part last night in a lot of ways. He drew 10 fouls, scored 18 points, which led all scores. Uh, Jordan Wright gets 15, had a nice game, uh, but they just don't have enough guys who can consistently knock down shots. I know this isn't new ground here, but you know, as I watched them last night, you're just going, and you could say the same for Tennessee too, right? Uh, the, boy, each of those teams could just really use a knockdown wing shooter who, who gets you about 40% from three, which Vanderbilt has had more often than not most of its years you know, throughout the history of the three-point line, but it's glaringly obvious this year it just doesn't have one of those guys that, you know, you might have 
Thomas knocked down five on a stray night, but it's not something you can count on. Yeah, that, that's been really a source of frustration throughout the whole season, I think. Uh, Vanderbilt just simply has not shot three-pointers as well as you might have expected going into the year. Uh, really, a, a better shooting team last year overall. And you have had some guys who've had nice games. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, Miles Studi have some really nice performances from behind the arc. You mentioned Trey Thomas as well. And, you know, we, we know what Scottie Pippen Jr. can do. I, I think Jordan Wright seems like he he's turned around his season. That game at Georgia back on Saturday, especially the second half where he scored 14 of his 20 points uh, and after halftime had 12 rebounds and six assists and really played well. I thought he backed that up with another nice game last night, uh, 15 and five with three assists and three steals, played 34 minutes. So uh, he, he looks like he, he's got things going in a positive direction. But uh, yeah, the shooting has just been very inconsistent. And this team, which doesn't have Lots of inside presence in terms of just powerful guys are going to bang down low and, and get you baskets at close range. This team's really dependent on the three, and if the threes don't go in at, at a decent clip, uh, this team really struggles to score at times. Let's back up to the Georgia game for a moment, if you don't mind. I was uh, driving through Gatlinburg and uh, eating dinner and all sorts of stuff while most of that game was going on. I saw literally the final one to two minutes. I did check the box score. Notice Vanderbilt got down big early uh, and had a big blitz, I guess, to start the second half to get the lead and, and basically take the lead for good and, and have just a little bit of spare margin at the end. But what was the difference in the first and second half in those games? Uh, Vanderbilt really – Vanderbilt didn't play that bad in the first half, just like we were just talking about. Got good looks and didn't make them. Really started off ice cold from three-point land. And uh, fell behind by 14 in the first half. They made a little flurry to get it down to eight at halftime. And then came out in the second half and played what I thought was this team's best 20 minutes of the season in, in Athens on Saturday. Scored the first 13 points of the second half and went on an 18-4 to run to take the lead. And uh, Georgia got within four. And it was starting to feel like it was a little shaky uh, down the stretch. But Scottie Pippen Jr. Uh, really slammed the door at the free throw stripe. He made seven of eight on the night. Most of those you know, in the key stretch at the end when he really had to have them. And uh, I thought Vanderbilt just all the way around did a lot of good things in that second half of Georgia. Uh, the, the dunk by Jermaine Mann, to me, was the player of the year for this uh, Vanderbilt team. Uh, I think I got everybody pretty fired up, including the head coach. But that, that was really one to feel good about. Uh, and a game, and you could feel it all day. I thought going into the game, just being around the guys and mealtime and those things, you can feel a little extra edge that this was a game that they felt like they had to have in the course of this season going to Georgia, which was not playing all that well. And you say, okay, we, we have a chance to not only get another road win, but get back to 500 and SEC play with a whole bunch of tough games coming up. And the uh, Commodore is able to deliver and, uh, and get a big win on the road. Did that game mean a little bit more to Jermaine because his brother Charles played at Georgia for, for uh -huh. what seemed like forever. Uh, so I would have to think that was a little extra special for him. Yeah, I, I got to think it probably was to you know, a Georgia native. And uh, yeah, he Jermaine had been a little injured for a few games. He, he's gotten back and uh, you know, become a regular contributor again. Uh, played 27 minutes last night. But yeah, I, I get the feeling that Brett probably did. And maybe that was a little bit behind that dunk. I mean, he skied up there and just cuffed it and threw it down on everybody. And uh, again, uh, it was one of the plays of the year. But you're, you're right. And uh, yeah, Charles Mann was a terrific player at Georgia for, for a long time. And uh, Jermaine uh, trying to do the same for this Vanderbilt team. Are you ready for the mailbag? Oh, sure. Bring it on. All right. Our mailbag is presented 
by our good friends at Sutherland and Belk. They are a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, please call Taylor or Russell. That number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Dorking says, why did Drew Weikert get the start? Seems to me there's an argument he should get some of Thomas's minutes if that was the reason. Now, I don't know if you heard this uh, because he said it to us in the post game, but Jerry Stackhouse was asked that, and he said that that was basically a reward for practice. I don't know if it was explained to you uh, when you spoke to him, but but that's the answer that I got. Yeah, and that's what he told us, too. Uh, we asked him the same thing after the game, and he said Drew had worked hard and knows what he's supposed to do, and he had only played in four games before last night. And when they first posted the starting lineups and I saw his uh, name in there, I-, I wondered if it was a mistake and it was supposed to be 23 instead of 33. But indeed, uh, Drew did get the start. But if you go out and watch him practice, he really plays well in practice, man. He can shoot the lights out. He is an excellent three-point shooter, which is something this team has needed. Uh, only one attempt last night. He played 11 minutes. But, you know, a guy who's been around and knows what he's supposed to do. And, and I think that that was the case. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse told us the same thing. It was a reward for, for good work and practice uh, that, that Weikert had been able to do. And it, it was a, a fun moment on the Hawaii trip. Uh, went out to a meal on Christmas Eve, and they announced there that, that Drew was going to go on scholarship. So you're happy for that young man getting an opportunity. And, uh, of course, his father played at Vanderbilt, so I know it's extra special for him. Okay, Door King wants to know if there are any updates on Liam Robbins and Rodney Chapman. Uh, Rodney Chapman, I think, may be back sooner rather than later. He hurt his hamstring in the game at Arkansas, and, and they've been pretty careful with him. Uh, as far as Liam Robbins, I, I've seen him working out some. Uh, the, the, the word we got not long ago was that maybe they're targeting early February for him to uh, finally get on the court in a game situation. But you know, I've, I've seen him out there and uh, working on his post moves and so forth. And boy, he's a guy, if you could have had him throughout the whole season, might have been a real difference maker for this team. But you hope there's still time for him to be a difference maker. But I think they're looking at early February. Yeah, I think those are the two pieces that, that just – fit glaring needs for them is just about as much as you could fit those needs. Yeah. People look at, at Rodney Chapman and they might look at his stats and all that. To me, you can throw all that out the window. What he does is provide a veteran presence, a guy who's really solid bringing the ball off the floor and enables you to play Scotty Pippen off the ball. He doesn't have to bring it up the floor as much. And uh, Chapman also plays good defense. So yeah, you, you saw some of it when he was back and playing, what a difference maker he can be. And you, you hope he is back sooner rather than later because he, he is a, a very key part of this team. Okay, here's the, the question of last night. Uh, Dorking wants to know what they can do to limit the bad turnovers. Uh, that, that just – and look, let's give some credit to Tennessee. That's an outstanding defensive team. But there was some head-scratching things at times too, Kevin. Yeah, there were, and, and I think that was some of the frustration for Jerry Stackhouse after the game is he felt like it wasn't just Tennessee bringing pressure and, and, and making you make bad decisions. It was it was some things that weren't always forced errors, uh, especially the one at the at the end of the game uh, when Vanderbilt's just trying to put the ball in play. I mean, you simply got to make a, a more solid pass right there and throw it over the head of Ziegler to allow you, you – I think Scottie Pippen was the guy down there – just to allow him to run under and get the basketball. I mean, that, that's just a simple play that you have to make. And I, I think yeah, some, some turnovers you can live with, especially if they're a dead ball turnover, but live ball turnovers turn into buckets at the other end uh, uh, will drive coaches crazy, as uh, we, we've seen throughout the years. I, I think just – I don't know, just just making smarter decisions at times and uh, being more solid with the ball. And when a double team comes, don't 
don't don't get so sped up. That's another thing that the coach Stackhouse talked about after the game. He felt like his group got sped up a little too much. Just just be calm. I know it's hard to do when you got a, got guys all over you, but uh, you, you know, just try to make that solid pass and get out of trouble. Yeah, and that's where he circled Roddy Chapman's name again last night because he talked about that with us in the post game. He said we didn't show any poise, and and this is paraphrasing all of it, but he said basically Rodney is that guy that gives us poise, and, and we really missed him in that spot. Yeah, he's a he's a guy who yeah, if you're in that spot and they're they're really uh, turning up the heat defensively, he can be that calming veteran presence that you need. Okay, NBA door would like to know why hasn't Taryn Frank been more of a factor? Um, I, I think uh, maybe that's a question a lot of folks have wondered. He uh, played five minutes last night, but um, I, I, that would probably be a better a better question for the coaches. Uh, we've seen Taryn play um, at varying amounts of minutes over the course of the season, and you know he's a guy who's he's been in there pretty much every game, but. Um, maybe it's, it's a, a matter of figuring out exactly what his role is on this team. Uh, you know, a forward who, uh, you know, you, you, you need some firepower down low. Maybe he can provide that. But, uh, yeah, he, um, it's, uh, like I say, it's just been uh, various amounts of minutes for Taron over the course of this season. NBA door wants to know, have you seen the new locker rooms? And if so, what are your thoughts on those compared to the football ones? This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. But he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but yes, I have seen the new locker room. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually, you know, our office is in Memorial Gym, and I'm totally joking, but um, it, it, they, they've been working on all this for months uh, in Memorial. They basically gutted uh, the the inside by that hallway where you, like, you go down the steps by where Vanderbilt's bench is, and you go back in that hallway. They gutted every bit of that and just tore it down to the, the framework and rebuilt it. And so one day I was there a couple weeks ago, and the workers were in there sort of putting the finishing touches on the locker room. And I asked them if it would be okay if I just sort of slid in there and took a look around for a minute. And they said, sure, you know, go on in. So I walked in there and looked around. It's unbelievable. I, I can't imagine like an, an NBA team or anybody has anything that's much nicer than what that is. They put up all kinds of cool graphics and lighting and things in the hallway. But the locker room itself is just beautiful. They built one for the men's team and for the women's team uh, down the hallway there. And uh, I know everybody's been excited about having that project done. I think they actually used it last night for the first time in a game setting. And uh, that's good news. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sure the uh, the visiting teams are happy, too, because they've been uh, using a hall, a back hallway that went to where the old 
visiting locker room was. And uh, it was just a place to be and uh, some chairs out in a hallway for a meeting before the game or at halftime. So hopefully things getting uh, back to a little bit more normal. But that new locker room is just beautiful. It's, it's super cool. Uh, let's talk baseball a minute, if you're ready. I presume, did you see the, the D1 baseball poll that came out yesterday? Yeah, I believe Vanderbilt third in that one, and uh, they've, they've been top five in pretty much all the uh, preseason rankings, which those things sort of are what they are because you're basing a whole lot of it on what you saw last year and what you think these teams might be. And th- this Vanderbilt team, certainly from a, a pitching standpoint, is going to be very different than uh, what they've been the last couple of years. Yeah, there's what been four or five polls come out. I think four. Where I think we're waiting on the writers' poll and the USA Today poll, but I think they are one, two, or three in all of them so far. Am I correct on that? Yeah, that sounds right. Um, I know they've been ranked number one a couple places, uh, number three in the one you were talking about there a minute ago. So yeah, again, again, those kind of are what they are, and we'll, we'll see uh, what this team really is when they start playing in less than a month against Oklahoma State. Well, D1 is the one that I watched because I think they do, no disrespect meant to any of the others, but I think they do their homework better than anybody else. Um, you know, I, I saw Arkansas, I think, 20th in collegiate baseball's poll, and I just was like, what? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and there are two in this one, which I think is is more right. I, I think they've picked the SEC in this order. Well, that. <laughs> the, the whole poll in the SEC are, are almost the same thing at some point, but it goes Texas 1, Arkansas 2, Vanderbilt 3, Mississippi State 4, Ole Miss 5, followed by Stanford, Oklahoma State, LSU, Florida, and NC State. Now, the good news if you're Vanderbilt is I think you avoid both of the Mississippis. You do get Arkansas. I can't remember if that was the next to last week of the season. I think it is. Might be the last week, but I think it's the next to last week which, you know, according to, to this, what might decide the league. You get Oklahoma State, which is seven, to open the year. You catch, um, I believe you catch LSU this year in, in Nashville, if my memory serves. Uh, you got Florida at nine. You catch those guys. And then you go down the pole, uh, of course, Georgia and Tennessee at 16 and 19. Those are both in the east, so you see them. But a, a lot of teams in that top 25 that we're going to be seeing Vanderbilt play this year. Well, you, you look down at the end of the season, and those series in May, uh, it's going to be unbelievable. And you finish up April with with uh, road trip to Kentucky and then Texas A&M at home. Then you open up May, you play Louisville, the battle uh, for the barrel. You go to Georgia for three. Uh, you go to Arkansas for three games in the next-to-last conference series. And then you play at home against LSU for three to wrap up the regular season. How's that for a closing stretch? Uh, it, it's going to be brutal. It's, it's a 30-game just series of haymakers when you play sec play but it's going to be a lot of fun to, to see how this league shakes out it's it's always as good as it gets in the southeastern conference yeah i mean not that it's ever easy in the sec but their schedule in the league sets up really nicely they get they they get really the easier opponents on the front half of the schedule which a lot of times is when you're trying to figure it out so now the last two weekends at arkansas lsu here are going to be humdingers those will be fun but i think You'd probably rather start your season uh, with the other guys and end with those guys than the other way around. Yeah, you hope you're playing your best baseball by the time you uh, get to those series. And and for Vanderbilt, from a pitching standpoint, that gives uh, some young arms 
maybe a little time to uh, get some SEC experience under your belt before you play the most difficult teams. And all, all those series are tough. So, yeah, we'll see how those things go. And, uh, again, a little bit different look to the uh, pitching staff or at least different roles for some of these guys. Kevin, I'll give you the floor for parting thoughts on hoops or baseball or whatever else you want to get into. And, of course, the space is yours to promo what you guys have com- got coming up at, at the school, your broadcast, your podcast, all those things. Yeah, as far as the podcast goes, Chris, I appreciate that. Uh, we should have a new episode out either tomorrow or Friday. You can go to Apple or Spotify and find our podcast there. We also uh, post uh, the replay of our Monday night show, The Commodore Hour. You can find those episodes there, too. We typically have uh, Jerry Stackhouse and Shay Ralph on those uh, during basketball season. Uh, as far as basketball, we will have Vanderbilt and Florida. It will be a noon central time tip-off on Saturday with pregame at 1130 on the uh, Vanderbilt Sports Network from near field. So a lot going on right now, and uh, as you mentioned, baseball not too far down the road. Boy, it just feels like Vanderbilt should be at home Saturday because you got the, the Titans playoff game you got the predators at home you know why, why oh, not man. one more to throw in there in the span of three miles right boy it, it would have really been nice so uh, maybe a lot of people know I, I work in the press box on game days for the titans i do the in-house pa and there are four potential time slots for the titans and bengals to play this weekend and three of those i could have gone to the game or been back in time to work uh, certainly the two on sunday but the one on saturday if if uh, vanderbilt you know and, and florida as i mentioned play at noon uh, if the Titans had played at 7 or 7.30, I could have been back home from Gainesville in time to go basically straight to Nissan Stadium and work the game. But, of course, they uh, chose the one that I couldn't do, and that was the uh, 3.30 Central time time slot, so I won't get to see the uh, the Titans and Bengals. I, I, that'll be the first time I've missed a home playoff game for the Titans ever. Uh, I think they played five or six games over the course of, uh, say, 20 years or so, including the Miracle game and a couple of heartbreakers against the Ravens, three, as, as a matter of fact, against the Ravens. So uh, I, I wish I was going to be able to uh, to go to Nissan Stadium on Saturday because uh, I think that'll be a, a heck of a game. But hopefully next week uh, we'll see an AFC championship game here in Nashville, and uh, we'll get to, to see that one on Sunday. But uh, my priorities lie with Vanderbilt and Colin basketball, so uh, looking forward to the Commodores and Gators. This will be my first trip down to uh, the O-Dome, I've uh, seen games there on TV for years. I've done football and baseball at Florida, but never basketball. So really looking forward to the game coming up on Saturday. Well, let me be the first to call this ADD Saturday. Oh, no doubt. I think we've had some of those days uh, yeah. here recently. I, I spent, the, after we got back from Georgia on uh, Saturday night, I think I pretty much spent all day Sunday doing nothing but watching uh, football and everything else that was on and Predators games and, and, and everything. So, yeah, I've, I've done some of that as we've had some bad weather and been home a little more and with, with COVID cranking up, uh, haven't really gotten out quite as much as normal. So, yeah, I've had some of those type days. I think the best Titans-Vandy combo day that I can remember, I, I remember they played the Steelers here in a playoff game, and I think in that crazy field goal game. Yeah, the Joe uh, Nanny game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I'm, memory's really hazy, but I was, there, and then I went across, you know, three miles down the road. I think Vanderbilt beat Alabama that night. Uh, I remember being in the gym. This is before I did it as a media endeavor. And this was when Alabama was fairly good. Um, I think that would have been uh, Mark Godfrey was the coach at the time. But that that I think when you talk about times where Vanderbilt basketball and the Titans overlap. That's probably the first one that comes to mind. I'm sure there are others, but um, occasionally you get one of those days. Yeah, you do. And, uh, you know, I was thinking back to the miracle game when Vanderbilt uh, or when uh, the Titans beat Buffalo on the, you know, on the famous play. 
Uh, I remember talking to Joe Fisher and, and Vanderbilt was playing at Kentucky and, and I, I talked to Joe a couple different times about that day and his, his recollections of how he found out about the player, saw it in the press room. I can't exactly remember how the story went, but uh, yeah, you, you get those crossovers, especially when you have uh, playoff games that happen on Saturdays. I think I've told this story on the podcast before, um, but I, I was at that game. We were season ticket holders back then. I remember watching it live and from my angle, which of course it ended up once they showed the replay, it was clear it was a it was a a lateral. But from where I sat, I thought it was a forward pass. Yeah. And so everybody's cheering, and I'm I'm just kind of like, eh, I'm not going to get myself too worked over that because it's coming back. But my dad had gotten so frustrated with the way that game was ending that he left the stadium um, <laughs> and was literally getting on the shuttle bus right when that that play went down and just heard what he determined termed it sounded like the stadium was exploding and he said <laughs> I turned to the shuttle bus driver and I just said what what just happened so I still feel badly for my dad to this day that that he missed that but we, we could get Buffalo and the Titans again in a rematch and that would be really interesting yeah that would be really cool yeah I, I saw the miracle play too uh, I was in the press box and I was sitting on about the yard line where uh Frank threw the uh the lateral to Kevin Dyson and you, know, you see certain plays over the course of your life or career and covering this stuff that you remember forever. And that, that was one of them. I, I can see Kevin Dyson running down that left sideline toward the end zone and, and just seeing all the people in the stands going absolutely bananas and just feeling the place shaking. And uh, when I, I left the stadium when it was over with to go back over to the Wild Horse. We did a, a postgame show with George Plaster and, and that crew and uh, just that whole scene over there. I, I will never forget that day. That was super cool. Yeah, there's a few of those moments in your life as a sports fan. I had one of those, too. Um, one of my best friends got married. He and a bunch of his buddies were all Michigan fans. And I remember sitting and watching the Cordell Stewart play huh. with all oh, wow. those guys oh, right right they before my buddies getting married. That That's one you kind of don't forget. <laughs> yeah, they might have wanted to turn it off before the Cordell Stewart play happened. Yeah, and unfortunately, I ended up being a bad omen for other things. But uh, Oh, man. In any case, uh, Kevin, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch up with you again in a couple of weeks. Anytime, Chris. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.